book of Luke in the 19th chapter, Luke chapter 19. We're going to be studying from that place in just a moment. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to begin by sharing with you, and this is something I, I don't plan to do every time I preach, but I did do this last week. Uh, I shared with you at that time the inspiration for the lesson, and I'm going to, I'm going to do that again this morning. This past Wednesday night in the Young Disciples class, we had quite a number out, so I decided to just do a, a review of some material that we'd already covered. And then we read through Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And I asked the class, I want you to give me a sermon title, and I want you to give me three points. You're going to develop a lesson for me. Now, I will tell you that I took some liberties in rewording some of the, the points that they gave me. I did not change, however, the sermon title. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you as nervous as I was when I asked that question? Zacchaeus, the altered accountant. Now, I do need to explain this one. You read through the book and you say, well, where do you get that he's an accountant? Well, would you like to guess who in the class gave us that title? It's the one who lives in a household of accountants. It's, uh, it's my son, and he has heard enough dinner conversations between myself and my two older children, both of whom are accountants, to just naturally connect the matter of tax with accounting. We don't know that Zacchaeus was an accountant. There's not necessarily evidence that that was his profession, but he was involved in tax collection, so maybe there was some accounting involved, and we do see a change in Zacchaeus, and I think that's the point of the story, that here is a man who was seeking Jesus, he found Jesus, and by the end of the story, and even progressively throughout the story, we see a change in the person that he was. There was a alteration in his, his character. As you look at the passage, there's going to be a point of focus that I'd like to make, and that is the statement in verse 10 of this chapter, of this passage, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, that's a very important statement, but it seems to take on more meaning, at least from my perspective, as I put it within its context. He, he makes a statement about the character, that is, Jesus makes a statement about the character of Zacchaeus, and then he follows that up by saying, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is toward the end of Jesus' public ministry. And all throughout that ministry, there were teachings there was an example set by him to let it be known that the reason I'm here is to bring salvation. And this is just another example. This is another time in the life of Jesus when we see clearly that that was his purpose and that was his mission. And I think as we seek to be disciples and seek to be followers of Christ, we need to make it our mission. And I know I forget that. And I think everyone else here from time to time probably does the same. But as we look at this, let's ask ourselves the question, who is this Zacchaeus? 
And what are some of the lessons that we could learn from this altered, perhaps, accountant? Well, in verse 1, we begin reading that he, and this is a reference to Jesus, he's making his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. He enters Jericho. And this is the Jericho of the Old Testament. We study in our Old Testaments about the Israelites and the first city that they captured after they crossed the shores of the Jordan River was the city of Jericho. And it was a miraculous victory. It didn't involve firing a shot, as we might say. It was just marching around the city. And then the walls, as we often say, the walls came tumbling down. Well, now here Jesus is in this city. It's strategically located. There were about three major trade routes that ran through this particular area. And that's significant because it, it contributed to the, the wealth of Zacchaeus. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, verse 2, and he was a chief tax collector. He was not just a tax collector. He was the tax collector of tax collectors, and he was rich. Now, I will take a moment to share with you what I understand and know about the tax collection system that existed at this time and in this particular place. And it would vary from, from area to area. But the way the Romans collected taxes is they would farm out that function to persons who would buy a particular area. So it's a case of the rich getting richer. You can't buy the right to collect tax unless you have the money to pay for that right. And this was a very prosperous area. So for Zacchaeus to be the chief tax collector and to be the one who had the, the opportunity to collect tax in that region, he had to pay the tax that the Romans expected to receive on that area. He had to pay the tax up front. He had to pay the tax up front, and then he would collect the tax. He would hire tax collectors who would work underneath him, and they would collect tax, and there had to be some profit involved, or else no one would get involved with this. So, so Zacchaeus bought the right for this region, and then he hired others to collect tax, and as you might imagine, what happens when you put money into the mix? Well, inevitably, as we always say, money does change people. And there was the opportunity for greed. There was the opportunity for cor corruption. And this is one of the reasons why tax collectors were so despised. Zacchaeus was also a Jew, which made him even more so the object of the animosity of those in the region who were of the Jewish nation. He was rich. Zacchaeus, verse 3, was trying to see who Jesus was. Now, as I read this, I don't get in my mind the picture that he just see, he sees this entourage traveling through Jericho. Here's a man that has a lot of people following him, and he's just out of idle curiosity wanting to see Jesus. No, it says that he wanted to see who Jesus was. I believe he knew about Jesus. There were miracles that had taken place in that area. In fact, Jesus had been performing miracles for about three years. And he just wanted to know, who is this Jesus? And I want to see 
this man. I've heard of this man. I want to see who he is. And he was unable to because he was a wee little man. We sing that song. He was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Now, my comedian son in class went to that as we read through this. He said, Dad, this sounds a whole lot like you. The altar to count it, we little man. Well, he was small. He couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran on ahead. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Now, what do you see about this story that just strikes you as maybe a little bit odd? You know, this is the head of the collection division of the local IRS office. And he's rich. But he's climbing up a sycamore tree. Something about that just seems to be a strange picture. And he's running ahead of the crowd. He may have been little, but apparently he could scoot and he could climb. So he goes up into this sycamore tree. I'm seeing a lot of humility here, and he just kind of, he kind of forgot who he was. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so wrapped up in a moment? You've been so excited about something, and you're so desirous of being a part or seeing something or, or knowing more about something, and you just, you just kind of forget everything that's around you. You forget your surroundings, and you're just focused. He, Zacchaeus, he was looking for Jesus. He was looking for Jesus. We're going to see later that he was truly a son of Abraham. At some point along the way, he heard about the miracles. Perhaps he was exposed to the teaching. As a Jew, he may have been familiar with the Old Testament prophecies. But whatever the reason was, here is a man whose life in spite of what others thought of him, in spite of his position, in spite of what it was he did, he was looking for the Savior. I connect this with a statement that's found in the book of Jeremiah. It's a prophecy that gave the Jews insight as to how long those who were taken into Babylonian captivity, how long they would be there. It is this prophecy that Daniel was reading sometime later and came to the realization that the 70-year period of captivity was soon to come to an end. But I want you to listen to what God, speaking through the prophet, stated at this particular place. Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. These were Jews in captivity. These were Jews who would see or would experience the fall of the city of Jerusalem. They would suffer. Their, their world was, was literally turned upside down. And they were in a place they didn't want to be. And in the midst of all that chaos, in the, in the midst of all that that the world come crashing down on their heads, God said, I want you to look to the future. There is something better. There is a future. There is a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me 
and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Can you see that that's what Zacchaeus was doing? He wasn't just climbing up in a, in a sycamore tree because he wanted to be a spectator and he wanted to be a part of what was going on. He was curious about what was happening. No, sir. He wanted to see Jesus. This was a, a physical manifestation of his desire, but he was not going to allow anything to keep him from seeing Jesus. God said, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. And then in verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. I don't want to press the point too, too much, but those who have never obeyed the gospel, you're living in bondage. You are living in bondage. And the only way you're going to pull yourself out of that is if you stop trying to pull yourself out of that and put yourself into the hands of God. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? Are you seeking to have him within your heart? And do you want to see Jesus at the end of life? When life is over or the Lord returns, do you want to be there with Jesus throughout all eternity? I see the character of one of this nature in Acts chapter 10. It's the story of the conversion of Cornelius, who was, by record, the first Gentile convert. He was a good man. We read about this centurion in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. He was of the Italian cohort. He was a devout man. He was one who feared God with all of his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and he, he prayed to God continually. This was not a bad person. But this was a lost person. And for that reason, God would send Peter to him to preach the gospel and teach him what he had to do to be saved. But you'll notice in this account, as Cornelius is coming to have a knowledge of salvation, he sees in a vision an angel of God and, and fixing his gaze on him and, and, and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Here's one whose character was such that he too was seeking something. He was searching. Let it be known that this altered accountant was altered because he was on a quest. He was seeking. And I would ask every one of us this morning, how deep is our desire to see Jesus. Let's go back to the story now in Luke chapter 19. When Jesus came to the place in verse 5, so Zacchaeus runs on ahead. He's up in the sycamore tree. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Try to put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, he knows my name. 
I want to see who Jesus is. I'm sitting in a sycamore tree. Wouldn't that make you a little bit uncomfortable? This huge crowd, they're, they're following Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about the miracles. And all of a sudden, it's almost like time stops. And you feel his eyes upon you. He says, he calls your name. We're not surprised that Jesus stops. Because God said, if you seek me, I'll let you find me. You want to see Jesus? Well, here I am, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I almost want to chuckle when I see that. He invited himself over. Now, how do you think Zacchaeus' wife felt about that? He walks in, he shows up, and, and probably had some of his disciples with him. He didn't text her. It's just like a total shock. He walks up and all of a sudden, here's this entourage that comes into his house. Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him gladly. And notice the verbs of verse 6, how they speak to what Jesus said in verse 5. Zacchaeus hurried. And he hurried. Come down. And he came down. For today I must stay at your house. And he received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be with a guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, boy, that kind of uglies the story up a bit, doesn't it? All this great stuff's happening. Here's Zacchaeus, excited, climbs the tree. He's seeking for Jesus. Jesus calls him by name. Sure, he's a tax collector. Sure, he's a chief tax collector. Maybe he's done some things in the past he shouldn't have done. But these are total strangers. And the next thing you know, they're, they're together. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, I guess I need to come clean here. He knows who I am. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. If, if I have defrauded anyone. Anything I've done that's been wrong, if, if some of the tax collectors who work underneath me, if they've been corrupt, we're going to make this right. In fact, I'm going to give, I'm going to go above and beyond the call of duty if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and I'm going to give back four times as much. I'm going to give half of my possessions. What would your life look like if you gave half of everything to feed the poor? The second point I want to make here, and maybe this is not what you expected, we should not prejudge. Nobody there would have seen this coming from Zacchaeus. In fact, it says in verse 7, when they saw it. I don't believe that's just the Jews. I believe that's everybody in Jericho who is there and watching what's happening. If you're the, if you're the number one IRS agent, everybody knows who you are. And especially if you're a rich man, what do we like to do with the rich? We like to take shots, don't we? Ah, 
He's got to be doing something wrong. You know, you see somebody that's driving around in a $200,000 car and uh, riding around in a $200,000 boat and living in a $5 million house. I, he got to be doing something wrong. There got to be some drug cartel somewhere in that family. And that's an extreme exaggeration, but we kind of do the same thing with others that have more than we have. It's real easy not to like them. It's real easy to prejudge. It's real easy to be prejudiced. It's, they said he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, heaven forbid that the one who came to seek and save the lost would go to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's a shocking thing, is it not, that one whose mission, one who came from heaven, who said repeatedly, I must suffer and I will die. I am the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I am the suffering Messiah. What a shocker that he would mix it up a bit with sinners. It's not the first time Jesus has been criticized for that, is it? That's his reputation. He goes and he, he, goes and he has dinner with sinners, chief publicans, prostitutes. This is a man who, who is not rubbing elbows with good company. But this is also a man who doesn't judge based on external appearance. You remember in the Old Testament story when Saul was to be replaced by a new king because of his wickedness, and Samuel was sent to the household of Jesse. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories. I played this out several years ago when I was in Africa, and I was at an orphanage, and I took several of the young boys and I, I told them, okay, we're, we're going to act this out and, and you're going to be different sons of, you're going to be different sons of Jesse. And I would have them come out and, and I'd tell the person, you need to strut. When you come out, you strut. And then I got the tallest. I said, you're the tallest. You know, for different reasons, they would play different roles, but they were all the sons of Jesse. And I had the other kids really into this thing. I said, now, is this the one? And they'd all shout, no, no, this is not the one. When Eliab came, they looked at him and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. Well, think about that, Zacchaeus. Because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, Jesus has got a leg up on us with that one, doesn't he? He can look in a man's heart. He can look into Zacchaeus' heart and see what was there. I can't do that. But what I can do is let God do the work of deciding who is and who is not of the right heart so as to receive the gospel. My job is to plant the seed. In James chapter 2, apparently there was a situation that James felt the need to address of prejudice when it came to those who were more well-to-do. 
It's the situation in James, the second chapter, about a man coming into an assembly with a gold ring and dress and fine clothes. And, and then here comes the poor man in dirty clothes. And, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. But look at the statement of verse 1. This, this sort of develops more clarity as we relate it to what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. You read that statement. What does that mean? What does it mean to hold my faith in Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism? Well, that's something that Jesus would never have done. I can't say that I have faith in Jesus and my life is about judging based on external appearance. That's what everybody in Jericho was doing. And yet Jesus, Jesus did not. He didn't see what everybody else saw because he was looking at Zacchaeus' heart. Then in verse 9 of Luke chapter 9, we'll conclude here. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Oh, don't you know? Don't you know? Zacchaeus, his family, everyone who was there in the house. Don't you know this was a, a touching moment? Today, salvation has come to this house. I see a statement there that's pregnant with meaning. Not only was he moving progressively in his faith, that is Zacchaeus. But truly, salvation was standing in his house. The source of salvation. It was showering salvation upon the household of Zacchaeus because he too is a son of Abraham. As hard as it may be, because of our propensity to prejudge, here was a man who had the faith of Abraham. I think there may have been a, a few Jews present who didn't like that statement. The ones who said, here he is eating with a sinner. And Jesus said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is a man who has the faith of Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, when Paul was writing of salvation by faith and not by works, he makes many statements in reference to Abraham. In Galatians 3 verse 6, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Zacchaeus. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. And then in verse 26, 
of Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor freeman. There is neither male nor female. You can't prejudge. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. You are heirs according to promise. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was the seed promise. Three promises to Abraham. I'll make of your seed a great nation. I'll give that nation a land in which to dwell. And now here Jesus appears upon the pages of human history. He is that seed. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And now, now, here we see one who you say is not worthy. But I say, he too is a son of Abraham. He is an altered accountant. He's not just a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree. If you're here today and you never obeyed the gospel, our prayer, our desire is that you too would become a son of Abraham. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, our desire now is that you would come forward, confess that faith, repent of your sins, and then be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're subject to the call, please come and stand as we sing.